Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Kiss Uni video series. We have a very special guest here with us today. She did her Bachelor of Engineering from the prestigious Nast University and is the co-founder and uh, director of operations at Climate. Uh, today, as our guest, we have Amir Adil. Hi, nice to meet you. Thank you for having me here, Fareed. It's a pleasure to have you here as well. And to start off our discussion, um, obviously, I believe climate, um, you know, just like awareness about climate change and the environment in general has played a significant role in your life. So we're going to start with that. So when did your interest with um, this thing start? Like, was it in school, your OA levels, any specific incident that made you think that one day you'd have to start climate for this purpose? Um, actually, it started with a family trip to Naran and Kaukan. So we went to visit Lake Sefumuluk, and there I saw it trashed, you know, the tourists over there had trashed the lake. And that really infuriated me, and I started picking up the trash, and my mom was watching me do this, and she and this was about the time where I, where I had to decide what I wanted to do for my university. And she said, oh, this looks like something, you know, an environmentalist would do. Why don't you like look, look into environmental programs? And I did. And there were two particularly that, that I was interested in, one in Beheria, that's environmental sciences, and the other was at NAST, environmental engineering. Now I'm super bad at engineering. I've been bad for the past, for, for the four years that I've been in engineering, but uh, it was an interesting experience. And uh, well, that's what I opted for. Nice. So, um, like, introduce the audience to your initiative, Climate. Like, what does it aim to do? Right. So, the reason that I started Climate was because um, now, environmentalism, I was really concerned about, like, littering and, you know, people throwing their smokes out and stuff like that. And I had to sort of teach myself the A to Z of everything related to climate change. Um, because my degree did not include climate change. It was just about the environment and how to like solve environmental pollution, nothing about climate change. So I had to teach myself everything from the beginning. And one thing that I found really hard was it took me about like five years to get to a point where I could even say that I knew what climate change was. Uh, and that was because all the information that's present out there is very Western based. Like it's not something that is made for us, for someone who's living in Pakistan. And uh, that is why I started Climate because I felt like if I was facing this difficulty, then other people might be facing the same sort of issues. And um, that's why I created a Pakistani based sort of info hub for climate change. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. And what you said is actually true because whatever we read, whatever we see on social media, everything, it doesn't necessarily apply to our country. And we're very much more deep rooted into this problem as compared to first world countries like the US. So that's something I totally agree with. And it was actually a very smart decision to actually, you know, um, spread awareness that know what we are dealing with is different and actually more serious. So um, let's talk about your uh, academics. So what did you take in your OA levels? 
So I actually didn't do OLLs. I, I'm a metric FSC kid. Okay. Um, I was in Army Public Schools for, for the most part of my education. And uh, I had sciences, the basics, nothing but, yeah. And um, uh, is like, how much do you think, uh, because obviously you're now at a stage, you're now like sort of into your practical life. So now looking back at those days, do you really think that what you study really um, affects you right now, really helps you or, you know, anything like that? Not really, not at all, actually. <laughs> I was really into reading books for ever since I was a kid. And that's what's really helped me a lot because uh, what, put, what gave me an edge over other children at my age, especially when I was entering university is, because, is that I was at a higher reading level than a lot of my peers uh, at that time. Now I'm just into fiction, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's really about what you do at home in your free time, your hobbies and your, the creative, where, do, where does your creativity come from? Because I felt being in starting out my professional life that my most important asset has been my creativity. And that, that has, that's been the only thing that I've been like um, appreciated on. And the only thing that's, sort of like propelled me forward into my life so creativity is really important and while we're talking about your early education like touch a bit upon your experience applying to nest like i know that's a very tough period you need to go through the admission test at all but anything you remember any like was it very hard i'm pretty sure it was but uh yeah, so I applied to NEST in 2015. Like it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, and my sister's applying to NEST right now. So I got in at 119 over 200. And my sister has right now has 132 out of 200. And she has trouble getting in into social sciences. And I got into engineering. So it's it's very surreal for me where, you know, how times have changed right now. Yeah. But, um, I remember applying to a lot of universities. I apply, I remember that I topped the Behriya uh, Walajo admission test. So I topped that in environmental sciences and they were like, oh my God, we got to have you here. And I was like, yes, I want to go here. But then I applied to NAS and I liked the university, the outlook better. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do so many things, so many things over here. Because it's, it's like an entire sector and it's like a life of its own inside of NAS. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was like, no, I'm going to go here. Yeah. Uh, but I, um, I did enroll on, um, for a tuition center for the NUST entry test. And I went for maybe like five days <laughs> and then I did the rest on my own, but, uh, I didn't do so well on the test. I got in on the sixth list. I was very, very bad at maths and physics in the maths and physics portion of it. I got, I think 30 over 80 in maths. So it, it was sheer luck that I got in, honestly. <laughs> no, but I'm sure it was your hard luck on the uh, hard work on the other sections as well. So, uh, so yeah, how how is your marks in English? So yeah, so um, reading benefited you there. So how was your experience at NAST? Like you said, it has a life of its own, and I'm pretty sure that NAST prepares you for practical life and there are so many opportunities for students to do. So how was that for you? 
So being in the professional world now, I can tell you one thing for certain that there, nobody has a work ethic like NAS students do. It's, it's really great to see uh, the sort of events that they pull off and the seriousness with which they pull off these events. It's insane because you're not getting paid for this volunteer work, yet you're yeah. putting in more effort than anyone who's getting paid in like my professional life has ever, I've ever seen them put in. So that is one thing that I've, uh, that I really appreciate about uh, NAST graduates, but it's not something that everyone has. So for me personally, my uh, class fellows, I think maybe like three of my class fellows were involved in these activities at all, like from my entire batch. So not a lot of people partake in these extracurriculars or events or activities. And I think that is the thing that sets NAST apart from others the opportunities, the exposure that it offers through yeah. these societies and these extracurriculars. So I think more than the studies, that is what makes a Nastian a Nastian. So um, any specific extracurriculars you were part of that you feel really helped you? Uh, I was part of uh, the Environment Club for, I think, the entirety of my degree. Um, and that is what led me to start Climate, actually. It because not not because like I was able to do a lot over there, but the struggles that I faced within that hierarchical group made me think, oh, this is what I want in a society, and this is what I don't want in a society. Yeah. And uh, well, I was struggling academically as well, so I don't think a lot of people took me seriously in my university days. <laughs> so, um, but apart from that, I was involved in the Olympiad, which is a really big event that happens in Nasta almost every year or so. So I did organize a couple of events like that. But yeah, the, mostly the environment club. That's what I was into. Okay. So um, obviously, like you said, now you are into this position of leadership. So um, like, uh, was leadership something that came to you naturally? Or was it a progression of stuff you did that led you to this place? It used to come to me naturally, but um, like I said, I struggled academically for years, like not even just in NAST, uh, even before that, I was in APS Hamayu Road, and I don't know if you know that about that place, it's, it's cutthroat, like they don't spare anyone, and I was, I guess, I was at 89%, which is still an A, but they would treat me as if I was the like one of the lowest kids there were. So it was it was really hard. Uh, my self-esteem was completely depleted by the time I graduated. So while I used to be comfortable with leadership before, it's taken me a long time to get to a point where I can even like think about leading a team or something now. Uh, for that, I have my teammates, um, <laughs> who are both doing their masters abroad uh, at the moment. They're, they were both my colleagues at NAST, so uh, it's still something I struggle with. And just some advice, you know, like for people who want to start, for people my age who like want to start startups, who want to, you know, m like take an initiative, maybe, you know, run a small NGO or something, you know, similar to the Goals Climate has. So what advice would you give them if they want to, you know, start and run something like this? Because I know it, it probably takes a lot of commitment. It requires consistent work. It requires uh, teamwork. So uh, expand on some of the qualities that you feel are necessary when you're in a position like this. 
networking. The single biggest quality that you need is networking. So I was a very shy person. I didn't talk to many people apart from maybe my teachers and stuff and my colleagues. The more people that you talk to, the more things you learn and the more you'd realize that there are a lot of opportunities for you out there. And right now, uh, I'm working with youth and climate change, and I know that so many organizations out there are looking for youth who is even mildly interested in doing something about climate change. So if you're like running an organization or you want to run an organization, or if you even have like an idea to work on climate change, there are so many people out there who are who will be willing to help you through the process and give you opportunities and um, I don't know about funding, but like they will hold your hand through it. And um, I love helping the youth get into climate change as well. That's sort of like my passion working with youth and climate change. But yeah, there are so many opportunities if, if we just like go out and talk to people. So for networking, the easiest way would be to look up events that are happening related to climate change, conferences, seminars and stuff, and just go there, ask questions, you know, drink chai and talk to people over there. Yeah, and that's something like I feel kids like me because I'm also, I used to be well an introvert like two, three years back. So, you know, you like feel that, okay, if you like put yourself out too much, then, you know, people like have this conception of you. And I feel it's that fear that stops people from networking that often, but it's upon, I guess, every individual to break out of that bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um, I guess we should be wrapping this up. It's been a very productive talk, to be honest. Uh, but um, any um, advice you can give to wrap this up uh, about the climate, uh, about Pakistan's environmental conditions uh, that aren't looking too great, but hopefully, uh, inshallah, it will get better. But any closing remarks? I can talk for hours on climate change, especially Pakistan scenario on climate change. But one thing that I like to mention a lot in wherever I go and whatever I, um, whoever I talk to is that climate change isn't like a subject that you need to get into on your own. You don't have to study environmental sciences or climate change to get into climate change. It's something that affects all of us and anyone can get involved in this. So if you're an economic student or like you're a medical student, anything, literally. So one thing that I've done is that um, I created a curriculum. Actually, I took the existing single national curriculum and I just added a chapter of climate change in every single subject. So for maths, you can learn how to calculate your carbon footprint. Or for history, you can learn about what Exxon did in climate uh, in the climate crisis. And uh, in Urdu, you can learn a story about climate change. So similarly, if you're an economic student, student, you need to know what climate finance is or how climate change is affecting the global economy. If you're a medical student, you need to know how climate change is affecting human health and yeah. how you can connect it to that. So it literally has a connection to everything in the world right now. And um, so you don't really need to be a climate activist or a climate scientist or an environmental scientist to get into this yeah. field. You can do it while you're doing what you're already doing. Yeah, and I think I relate to that part a lot because back at my school, I'm also involved in the humanitarian and environmental society. And just an example of how I think we should expand on this as well, because 
um, back like three, four years back, the society was very active with, you know, plantations and, um, you know, um, cleaning drives and all that. And ever since COVID, you know, uh, work has not been the same, you know, because all physical activities were stopped. And I feel like it's not just us on a lower level, but on a larger level that activities are, about this haven't resumed or aren't working as much as they were in the past because of COVID. So what's your take on this scenario? Like how has COVID affected progress on this? I think that for a while there was no progress, but I think we're back to where we were before because it's such a vast subject. Like there, there isn't just one thing that you could be doing to you know, help climate change. You could be doing a million things. And this is one of the things that concerned me uh, because of which I started climate is because there is a very limited, um, you know, options of what you could do to be an environmentalist in Pakistan. You could either do a cleanup drive or like a plantation drive, or you could like give awareness sessions. And that's like about it. Uh, that's all that we, we can think of to do. And um, part of my journey has been to explore what other options there are and how to engage people in climate change more. But globally, yeah, I feel like on the surface, you might not be able to see much, but um, for example, uh, um, coal and gas projects are now more expensive than um, wind and solar energy projects. So wind and solar are the cheapest energy sources in most of the world. Uh, in the past few years, this has happened in the past few years. And that's one of the biggest achievements, I mean, biggest things that have happened. Um, so a lot of, there's there's been a lot of progress, honestly. Um, the only drawback is that there's no political attention on this because yeah. of COVID, things like Ukraine. So that is one thing that has been at a standstill, I feel. And I feel like we can raise as much awareness as you want to, but it all comes down to implementation. And that's like the rough part because even like organizations like the UNEP and you know, all these, they can't impose such a thing, especially to third world countries who are already kind of like on a tight budget when it comes to stuff like the environment. So I feel like we can only hope that these things get better with time inshallah, but you know, on an individual level, we can raise as much awareness as we want and engage, but I don't think we can expect much from governments then in that scenario. Well, one thing that I'm sorry, I'm taking up so much time, but like, no, no, no. there's there is one thing it's called greenwashing, if you've heard of it. So in Pakistan, I've been seeing a lot of conferences and environmental events happen that have been funded by fossil fuel companies. So like one international climate change conference happened in Karachi, uh, uh, I think a month or a month or two ago, and it was funded entirely by Shell and other uh, environment, um, fossil fuel corporations. So this is a tactic that the fossil fuel companies and uh, large polluter groups like Coca-Cola or PepsiCo and Nestle are doing. Um, plastic road you know road and they're like plastic is recyclable even though like 90% of plastic cannot be recycled like it's not recycled globally so the, this is the sort of tactic that they use uh, to convince like people who don't know about climate change even though like they're actively 
not letting work happen, you know? So this is something that Michael Mann, who's like one of the biggest climate scientists of our time talks about in his book called The New Climate War, that, you know, we're, we refuse to recognize that we're in a war in the first place. So um, it's, it's actually quite scary if you think about it, but yeah, yeah I guess <laughs> we have to be aware of um, how companies are actively out there to stop us from climate action. So I guess that uh, brings an end to this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed. Um, I'll be adding Amira's LinkedIn profile in um, the comments as well. So feel free to reach out to her if you have any questions about climate and even if you want to volunteer for the cause. <laughs> so um, thank you so much, Amira, for your time and for coming here. It truly was great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed this talk so much. And I love that you have this initiative because I wish there was something like this when I was, I was, you know, choosing my university degree. It's so useful, so helpful to so many people. You're doing an amazing job. Thank you so much. Alafis. Alafis, thank you.